to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and this month I've got Rod Argent here talking about the zombies, Argent and uh, his solo career and side projects. This is a massive, massive honour, so this is an unmissable show. So um, let's get to it. Let's listen to Rod talk to me about his fantastic career. Rod, a massive privilege to speak to you. I spoke to Colin last year before the release of Still Got That Hunger and now that album has had massive deserved success and um, you're also embarking on some summer um, festival dates in, including Cornbury. Um I opened with Maybe Tomorrow so there's lots of stuff going on in uh, the zombie world at the mo- moment. 
There, there is indeed. We've toured America quite, uh, quite a lot um, in the last few months. Um, and we're about to go back yet again in three weeks' time. But we are doing quite a lot of UK festivals and European festivals, uh, including Cornbury Festival. Uh, I don't know whether uh, you knew this, but um, I was so knocked out when we were on our last tour of America, um, halfway through, when we, when soon after the release of Still Got That Hunger, we got a call from Billboard magazine, and they said, do you realize for the first time in 50 years as the Zombies, the album has actually made, you're actually in six Billboard charts, but the album has made the, the top 100 album sales which was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we were hoping for some sort of reaction to the album, but, you know, to actually make that chart was fantastic. So it, it does feel very exciting, actually. Yeah, and it really is a sensational album. Um, I opened with Maybe Tomorrow, uh-huh. which is a great track. Thank you. Did you know the story behind that track? We, um, it's a song about a quarrel. And at the end of the day, you know, one of those silly quarrels that go out of control and you and your partner, by the end of the day, you just think, oh, my God, I wish today had never happened. And I thought it would be an affectionate nod in the direction of the Beatles, um, just at the very end to get uh, Colin to sing, just like the Beatles used to say, I believed in yesterday. And it was just like a, a, an amusing little aside, really. And we got a phone, we got a, a message just before the album came out from Sony, who said, you can't put this album out, we're, we're blocking it. Um, because you're you're quoting from the Beatles. And we were absolutely distraught. And as a last resort, our management company in America um, got in touch with Paul McCartney's personal manager, whom they didn't know, and said, I don't know if there's anything you can do, but this is supposed to be released in three or four days' time, you know, and I know it's a lot to ask, but I just wondered if there's any way you could override this. And do you know what? We got a phone call two days later saying, Paul McCartney has downloaded this. He thinks it's great and said, just go ahead. Um, and he's personally giving approval. So that was a really lovely little story. And we thought, what, what, what a star. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, what, what a story as well. And um, the second track uh, that I'd like to play today, uh, Rod, is um, the original version of I Want You Back Again. I think that was, I don't know if it was an A side or a B side about 50 years ago, but you've. Uh, You've revisited that track to great effect. Well, thank you very much. I mean, the story behind that really was that um, we're always looking uh, for uh, some sort of zombies obscurities, if you like, that we, we'd like to play, and that perhaps we never played live the first time around. And actually, I Want You Back Again was a single um, way back um, in about 1965, 66, but we never played it live on stage and we came across a version a couple of years ago by Tom Petty um, and he recorded it um, as a li- on a live album and we thought this is really good you know why aren't we doing this and we started to do it and we, we stayed very true to the original character of the song but because we were playing it night after night and really enjoying it it started to seat itself in a way that we really really liked and we thought, we've got to record this for posterity, really. So it became the only old um, piece of material on the album. As you know, everything else is, is newly composed. But that was one we really, really enjoyed doing. We did it live, absolutely live. And it took us about 20 minutes to record. I loved the way that I could actually use a real acoustic piano, um, which, of course, we didn't use the first time. We used electric piano. 
and and the possibilities that that gave me um, on the record. Uh, we used a sample piano on stage, and and we love playing it on stage still. But uh, it it was just a a way of combining uh, what we wanted to do with a piece of old material and just taking it one stage further. And and it was a real joy to do it. <laughs> Somebody help me I gotta eat Somebody help me To stand on my feet today rod are tracks that you uh, do play uh, live obviously um the next song is uh, one of them it's she's not there i picked the uh, santana version that time you must have okay. been really knocked out that that song became a, a massive hit all over again oh it was it was just wonderful i mean santana were one of my favorite bands when they first came out and what completely knocked me out about them doing She's Not There, apart from the fact that it's a terrific version, is the fact that they hadn't had a hit single for really quite some time. And She's Not There was the song that brought them back to the charts, um, as far as singles were concerned. So that knocked me out equally.
And uh, I think a few years before that, there was another uh, amazing uh, artist who uh, covered uh, one of your songs, and that's Del Shannon, and he did a version of Tell Her No. He did indeed, yeah. We toured with Del Shannon, and it was lovely touring with him. It was great, way back in the 60s. And we were really knocked out that he did Tell Her No. There was another hit version by someone called Juice Newton in the States as well, which made the top 20. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed Del Shannon. You reminded me of that. Um, I hadn't heard it for many years, actually. And uh, I, I, I was knocked out that one of my, my teenage heroes should have actually covered one of my songs. Well, we must play it then. Del Shannon, tell her no. <laughs> Tell 
closer And if she tempts you with her child times uh with with the the current lineup of uh, the zombies and um one of the songs that you uh you do particularly well is i love you i've picked uh people's cover that that made the american charts in i think it was 68 but that's a, a song that you really do well thank you very much and that's very um perceptive of you to, to choose people's version because as you say quite rightly it was a hit in the states and in japan i think it might have been number one in japan actually um and we decided to do that because obviously it was a B-side for us and they covered our, our version very closely except for the fact that they gave it a bit of a pumping bass. And when we heard their version, I really liked the fact they did that and, and we thought we could, we could build on, on, on that little bit of people, uh, that, you know, their, what they put into it, their six pennies that they actually put into it and, and we adopted their little approach with the pumping bass on the chorus. So, we, you know, we used a bit of what they'd done um, when we started doing it on stage. Thank you. 
recorded live in concert and um, it's interesting because I've chosen later on an Argent song done by the zombies but this time I'm picking a zombies track done by Argent and it's uh, Argent's version of Time of the Season I mean that you do a really good you did a really good version of that in uh, Argent well I mean we did used to play it on stage and strangely enough I don't know if you know this but well if you see us a few times you've probably heard the story but Hold Your Head Up which was Argent's biggest hit actually came out of time of the season because when we played it on stage, uh, Chris White, who was the original bass player in The Zombies, heard us play it because he was very closely involved with Argent, actually, even though he wasn't a playing member. And he was in the audience when we did a version of Time of the Season. 
And we went, we, we, we used to improvise a lot, Argent, and we went into a riff that we'd never ever played before. And that riff became the basis, when Chris heard it, of Hold Your Head Up. So, time of the season, as Argent used to do it, actually, strangely enough, one evening became the um, catalyst for, for Hold Your Head Up. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good tie-in, actually. That's fantastic. <laughs>
I'd like to play uh, a song from Odyssey and Oracle, of course. Um, there are so many great tracks on there, and you, you wrote quite a number of them. Uh, I've uh, chosen Hung Up on a Dream, and that really seems to capture the sound of that, that the period, really. I think it does. And um, it's interesting because if you've seen our current lineup on stage, you'll know that we quite often do up to about five songs from Odyssey and Oracle on stage. But Early on, we discovered that two or three of the tracks only uh, didn't work at all with just five people. You needed, you needed more. You needed, because we overdubbed on the original Odyssey and Oracle record, um, for the first time we had more than four tracks. Um, uh, I would do a, 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 a separate keyboard part. I would, I would play uh, Mellotron as well as um, the original piano part, for instance. And we would add extra harmonies as well. And uh, two or three of the tracks really need all those extra parts to work. And Hung Up on a Dream is one of those. And we tried to make it work with just five of us, and it didn't. Uh, when we did the original um, live version with all the original members, plus our current band, we were able to put every single part in place and reproduce every note that was on the original. And it suddenly flowered and came to life. And it... And it, it uh, another track was Brief Candles on um, one of Chris's songs on uh, Odyssey and Oracle. But Hung Up on a Dream is one that I love doing on stage when we've got everyone there to, to fulfill every part. Um, and it is one of my favourite tracks on, on the Odyssey and Oracle album. <laughs> Rippling in the heat And from that name 
There's another song off Odyssey and Oracle that I love, and that's A Rose for, for Emily. That's a really touching song. Thank you. Yeah, um, I remember when, when we'd made Odyssey and Oracle, we split up almost immediately, and uh, we did um, a, a Kenny Everett radio show. He was a great supporter of ours, actually, Kenny Everett. And he said, I can't believe this. He said, You're, he said you, you, you put a single out, which is KSL 44, you know, which did nothing. And he said, and you're breaking up. And the album's not even released. And he played A Rose for Emily. And Cat Stevens was in the studio. And Cat Stevens came up to us and said, I love that song. That's just really gorgeous. And Kenny Everett said, what are you doing? Why are you breaking up before the album's come out? So I, that particular radio broadcast and that little comment from Cat Stevens stays in my memory. The summer is here at last. The sky is overcast. And no one brings a rose for Emily. She watches her flowers grow. While lovers come and go to give each other roses from her tree. But not a rose for Emily. Somehow that's all she has protecting her from pain And as the years go by She will grow old and die The roses in her garden fade away Not one left for her grave Not a rose for Emily Emily is uh, Matthew Sweet and Susanna Hoff's version of Carousel 44. That's a song that really just keeps being covered and discovered by artists. Yeah, and it was really, no pun intended, it was really sweet version, it really is. Um, uh, when, when we were in the States uh, on one of the tours, maybe about a year ago, maybe a bit more, Susanna Hoffs came to two or three of our concerts and it was absolutely a joy to see her. I mean, she's made some wonderful records with the Bangles. I mean, uh, some of my favourite pop records. And um, she actually came on on stage in a sound check and when we were raising money to, um, for the pledge campaign to make Still Got That Hunger, we were selling off people the chances that they could come uh, to the sound check and actually sing a song with a band. 
and Susan uh, actually paid for one of those, <laughs> and she came along and sang. What was it she sang? I think it was. I think she came along and sang. This will be our year. Wow. I, I hope I'm right in that. Maybe I think it was. This will be our year. She sang, but it it, it was just a joy to meet her. Real pleasure. Good morning to you. I hope you're feeling better, baby.
recall the sort of reasons why uh, the zombies, um, you know, didn't carry on. Um, and then you obviously enjoyed um, subsequent success with time of the season. But you, uh, you and Chris sort of carried on um, with Argent, with Chris in a songwriting role. I mean, the the song that I've picked uh, is from Ring of Hands, which is a, a marvellous record, and that's Rejoice, and that's one of my favourite songs of yours. Oh, well, thank you very much. And it's and, and do you know what? We still occasionally, or we haven't done it for a long time with the current lineup of, of, of the zombies, but we still play that sometimes. And, and it's really one of the favourite songs that I've ever written, I think. I'm glad I've chosen it. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to retain the, the best elements of the zombie sound, but kind of moved it into the next decade a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and I think, again, it's very perceptive of you to choose something from Ring of Hands, because for me, even though we had a huge success with All Together Now and Hold Your Head Up, for me, um, my favourite two Argent albums are the first two, Argent and Ring of Hands. And I think it was very, I think you can hear very strongly a, a continuation of the zombies' ethos, if you like, and, and, and the way we played and the things that were important to us. And it was just changing in a natural way. Um, to do with the people that were in Argent and, and to do with how how you naturally change, you know, over a period of time. But it had very strong resonances, I think, of, of the original Zombies um, on those two albums.
live with the, the, the current um, incarnation of the zombies is of course hold your head up and um, that was uh, that's that's been one of your biggest ever hits surely yeah absolutely I mean the biggest ever hit by far that I've ever been involved in is time of the season and it's one of the most played English songs ever in America mm-hmm. um, it's one of the top 40 I think um, of songs you know in, in airplay terms beating quite a lot of the Beatles, some of the, the Beatles' uh, major tracks, you know, major singles. But Hold Your Head Up, yeah, was the top five single all over the world. And one thing, again, I sometimes say on stage uh, that a lot of people don't realise is that they think the words are Hold Your Head Up, whoa, and that's what they sing. But it's, it, the words are really Hold Your Head Up, woman, and not many people actually know that. Well, hopefully they do now. <laughs>
when I was uh, reading all about you, Rod, something I didn't know actually was that you were uh, you played with the Who for a, for a little time in the late seventies, and uh, understand you played piano on Who Are You? Yeah, um, what actually happened was. I played on the Roger Daltrey album, one of the boys that was recorded just before Who Are You? Uh, and I played on every track on that album. And then Roger wanted me to play on the Who album. And I was supposed to play on all of it. But I'd also agreed a period of time to play with Andrew Lloyd Webber on an album called Variations, which became a number one album that I did with uh, John Heisman and Coliseum and Gary Moore. Uh, and Julian Lloyd Webber, um, Andrew's um, brother, the cellist. And because the recording of the Who Are You album went on much longer than was originally planned, I had to bow out after doing three tracks. I did Who Are You, I played piano on a track called Love Is Coming Down, which I didn't get credited for, but that's me on piano on that. And I played on the John Entwistle track, which I can't remember the name of at the moment. Um, and I was on those three tracks. Fantastic. Well, uh, let's play... Who are you? By the who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
Rod, um, in terms of your influences, um, as well as sort of rock and roll, etc., there just seems to be a sort of jazz and uh, classical influence. And um, in terms of the classical side, you, you made um, a really lovely um, classical album in the late 90s, classically speaking. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to play a song from that. Um, I'd wasn't sure which um, particular songs you'd like to play, whether it was the one of the few that you've written yourself or one of the actual, you know, classically written tracks. Well, I'd, um, I did like three of the tracks myself, but the rest of it is some of the classical repertoire that I particularly love. And um, for that reason, I'd love to choose one of the classical tracks. Now, the, the story of that album was that <clears throat> I, I sort of retreated from production in, in the very late 90s because I'd had a lot of success with producing albums uh, by Tanita Tikaram, uh, by Josh Caddison, all million selling albums. And, but I wanted to get out of, of production and, and I took some time off and I've got a very dear friend who's a classical musician and he said to me, why don't you record a classical uh, solo piano album? And I said, well, I can't because I'm self-taught, you know, I, I can't do that. And he said, listen, I've heard you half play so much. Why don't you do some really real work for a year. And, and I thought, well, do you know what? I'm going to have a go. And I've, you're right, I've always loved classical music. I've always loved jazz, really right from the, my earliest years. And even when I was completely turned on to raw rock and roll, when I first heard Elvis sing Hound Dog and Little Richard and, and completely blown away with all that, it never stopped me listening to jazz and classical music either. Um, so that's been an interest for the whole of my life. And... I was really proud of the fact that I, I made a fifth of, of the album. I, don't, I can't think of another rock and roll musician who's done an out-and-out solo classical album doing repertoire. Um, and I'd, I'd love to choose a, a Chopin study that I played um, on the album, which is the second track on the album. It's called The Etude in C Minor by Chopin.
course, uh, soon, soon after Classically Speaking, you were hooked up again with uh, Colin. And um, when, I, when I spoke to him last year, he, he talked about how the, the synergy between uh, you both and how things sort of grew organically and between yourselves and obviously with the audience reaction and, and things have seemed to have just snowballed over the last 15 years or so. It really has. And you're absolutely right. It was totally organic and it was totally unplanned. And Colin had just started playing again after many years with a solo band. And two or three, uh, maybe maybe three or four years after he, he started to do that, I did um, the first live thing that I'd done in many years for uh, someone who was a great friend of mine at the time, John Bankworth, a jazz musician, and who sadly died now. But he wanted to raise money to improve his theatre in Mil- Milton Keynes. And he asked me to do a concert to raise money. And so I did. And during the concert, Colin was in the audience. And on the spur of the moment, got up and sang Time of the Season and She's Not There with me. And it felt so natural, as if we'd really been playing a few weeks before, that Colin then phoned me up after that and said, look, I've got half a dozen gigs coming up. Why don't you do them with me? And I said, oh, I don't know if I want to do that, Colin. I don't know, I don't know if I want to get involved in all that again. But I did. And we had such a ball that in an incredibly slow way, you know, it, it took a long time to get underway. I mean, we did those six gigs and then after quite a period, very, very slowly and spasmodically, we started to do more gigs. And then the momentum gradually started to pick up. And when it got to a certain point, we decided to have a go at going to America again. And we, we, in fact, capitalized the first um, two or three trips ourselves because we, um, we only broke even. We didn't, we didn't make any money. We didn't play to many people over there. But over the period of the last 16 years, we really built up our audiences uh, in America. And the biggest audience we played to a year ago was on Santa Monica. We played to 22,000 people um, on the Santa Monica Pier. And uh, it was a free concert, I admit, but it's the biggest audience they'd ever had. Um, so it just shows you where we've come in 16 years. And we're, we're really proud of that sort of second incarnation, in a way, mm. building out from nothing, you know. Yeah, and your shows really um, capture the best of Arjun, uh, Colin's solo career, the zombies in the 60s, and, and uh, you know, the fantastic work that you, you're doing at the minute. This next song I'd like to play is um, a live track that you were uh, recorded at Bloomsbury Theatre. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, your current version of God Gave Rock and Roll oh, to You. Okay, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always loved that song. And when we first started doing it, particularly in America, people were very puzzled indeed. And they thought, why, why are the zombies doing this, you know, sort of heavy rock or sort of metalish song? And they don't realise that that it was actually completely conceived in every way uh, and put together in rehearsal. A Russ Ballard song, but, you know, with, with input from all of us, you know, changing this and that here and there. And it's actually a lovely song. And um, when we introduce it on stage now, Colin always says, you know, you've got to take any preconceptions out of your mind and you've got to forget the new versions you've heard and just go back to the fact that Argent actually had a top 20 with, hit with this um, in the UK in, in the 70s, in 73. Um, and we still love doing it now. 
And here's a song that Argent did in the 70s, and we had a big hit in lots of places with this song. Years later, it became better known um, because it was a number one hit for um, a band in the States called Kiss, but we did it first in the 70s. This one's called God Gave Rock and Roll to You.
so we're, we're getting up to the last uh, couple of tracks, uh, Rod, and, and obviously I wanted to play some songs uh, from Still Got That Hunger, of course. Yep. I've chosen a few uh, of my personal favourites from the album. Okay. Um, the first one is Beyond the Borderline. That seems that seems quite reflective, and but really is, feels to me one of your best songs. Well, thank you. Um, it was it was written very quickly. Um, it was written as we came back from an American tour where most of the album had been written, but we hadn't started recording, and I felt we needed one more track. And it was literally written over a period of three days. I just I conceived it and constructed it, really. I mean, there's nothing really more to say about the track than that. Um, and uh, it became the last track on the album. Um, yeah, like every track on, on Still Got That Hunger, I'm really pleased with it. Yeah, there just seems to be a, a little bit of a theme through some of the songs, which is about the passage of time, looking forward, looking back. Yeah, and, and it's not something I thought about at all. But I guess, and, and it's a very positive album. It's It's not... In fact, even one of my favourite tracks on the album, Chasing the Past, um, is actually not about chasing the past. It's saying there's no point in chasing the past, you know. Uh, let's take tomorrow, you know, and give it hell, basically. And that's really the feeling for most of the album. But you're absolutely right. There are things where it's a question of looking back as well. And I guess... I don't know, I guess when you get to a certain age, it's inevitable, really, because you're reflecting um, different ideas that come, sometimes two or three different ideas and, and emotions and moods come together on one song. And sometimes they start from a trigger point and they develop into something that you don't even know yourself until you've written it. Um, but, you're, but you're right, it has those sort of reflections um, do appear more than, more than I realised on the album. I don't wanna lose this precious time Baby, you've come so far You've crossed the borderline Can you feel it hauling in the air? Now there's a place for you Somewhere the tide is turned We mustn't throw it Together now We can't let the memory slip away You know it feels so fine Beyond the borderline Living where the air is clear and red We hardly dare to dream Somewhere the tide could turn and that your strength and your grace Would bring us to the special place Keep it together now It's what you dreamed of for all your life My magic moments here No heartache and the sacrifice Very clear. 
took my hand that day in a certain way, a careful way, as if I were precious. You took my hand and we were young again, and magically the years just fell. Darling love.